Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. series called Open to the Promise, and it's about us being open to the Holy Spirit, which is my favorite subject ever, because it's not just a subject, as Brian has said, the Holy Spirit is a person, a living, breathing spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has decided has determined to dwell in us. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculously good news. It's something that never ceases to lose its wonder to me. Sort of the same way as like children being born, it doesn't lose its wonder. It's still amazing and wonderful. It's like, oh yeah, the baby was born. That's a freaking miracle. It's amazing. I've seen it happen five times. All my children, one woman, uh, she's amazing, she's right there. <laughs> it's always a miraculous occurrence that we get to walk with this living, breathing spirit who not just is some amorphous cloud somewhere, but it's leading and guiding us every step in our lives. So you hear me talk about butter sometimes, and I think of the Holy Spirit as butter. You're like, what does that mean, preacher? Well, what it means is Jesus is the bread of life. Bread is amazing. Bread is wonderful, especially if it's really hot out the oven. But you know what? You put some butter on that bread, now we're talking. And that's the way it is with Jesus. Jesus is amazing. He's wonderful, glorious. But you take Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that is an amazing combination. It's a wonderful, um, a wonderful person we get to walk with. He makes people cry. He makes people laugh. He makes people become convicted. He gives people great, amazing ideas. Um, he, he helps inspire the Bible. He helped create the world. The wisdom and the spirit that brooded over the darkness in the beginning is just this wonderful um, power that we very rarely tap into. And I want to talk about today how we tap into what is already inside of us. If you accepted Jesus in your heart, if you haven't, let me talk to you later about that. Hopefully I can help uh, illuminate some things for you. But when you accept Jesus in your heart, it opens up a new world of glorious and wonderful possibilities of what is. So, you know, sometimes people have to be convinced about the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you kind of got to kind of argue people down and like show them the evidence of why he's real and why he still does miracles today. I've experienced that, so I don't need that kind of um, convincing. And normally, when you need that kind of evidence, it doesn't mean that you're going to be more likely to believe in the future. If you say, hey, man, this person I know got healed, and they're like, okay, your friend is like, let me see the doctor's report. And you show them the doctor's report. They're like, wow, that, that clearly shows that they were sick before, and now they're not sick anymore. The next time they hear about somebody getting healed, they're going to need some more evidence still, most likely. 
our belief has to precede our rational knowing or understanding of the reason something is happening. And nothing pressed against that more than the Holy Spirit who is constantly saying, just trust me, just believe that I'm calling you to something that I've planted in your heart. How do we become yielded to the Holy Spirit? The best word I can think of, or if you want to think of another word, the synonym would be surrendered. How do we become surrendered to the Spirit so that as we walk in life, we can be right in step with the Spirit, or we can be right yielded and feel like I'm in God's will. Anybody want to be in God's will? You know, it's a, it's a good place to, to be. It's like your most amazing place that you go, you know, and you're like, man, I'm living my best life. That's what it feels like to be in God's will, wherever you are. So you think about, like, why do the disciples have to, how could they do these uh, crazy things like be crucified upside down and be whipped and be persecuted and put in jail. They were like, they were living their best life because they knew they were in God's will. And Jesus has called us, he left us the comforter, but he didn't leave us comfort, which is the common way that we interpret the scriptures. So what is, what is yieldedness? It's to have your will malleable to God's. Malleable is a, is a word that means like uh, putty. It means to be shaped and molded. It means that you are impressed by God's will, that we always say, I want to know what God's will is for my life. I want to know what my purpose is. Well, being yielded to the Holy Spirit will make that abundantly clear. You may not always be able to see the path forward, but you will understand that he has placed you in a place he has for a reason. And very often that is uncomfortable. So if you are uncomfortable right now, you may be in God's will. <laughs> because he didn't, Jesus didn't come to secure our comfort. Attentive to the instruction of the Holy Spirit. So you can hear, hey, you need to be friends with this person. You don't need to be friends with this person. You need to accept this job. You don't need to accept this job. Very often we, are, we mourn the things that we lose or things not working out. We're like, why is this not working out, God? I was so hopeful. And God may be saving you from something by not having you get that job. He may be saving you from something by not letting this person into your life. He may be saving you from something. So being attentive to the instruction of the Holy Spirit, he will head off a lot of disaster. Why do these things happen this way? Holy Spirit is always speaking and letting us See what it means to be yielded. Um, to let go of the need to control an outcome that you can't see anyway. That's what being yielded means. It's just like a relaxed posture, you know. Everybody, I know some people here just went to Mexico, you know. I don't know who they are, but I just, by my spirit, I feel like. But it's like, some, uh, it's like the island, it's like island time when you're on vacation. It's just like this, like. Like, nobody's in a hurry. Time, what's that? You're late for our appointment. They're like, well, late? What is that? It's just like this easy, easy thing. That's what it means to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. It means like you're like a reed that can be blown to the right or you can be blown to the left, and you're attentive and understanding that God may be speaking through something and may be leading you to the right or the left, not holding on so firm to something and becoming anxious about what we can't see anyway. But when we trust him, 
we know that he created the freaking world. Of course he knows where I should live. Of course he knows what job I should have. Of course he knows how I feel about my, my sick family members. Of course he can identify with me. But we have to let go of our way of controlling things. <laughs> controlling an outcome. And I love the song, I Surrender All. But it doesn't work with a question mark, really. I surrender some. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender some. <laughs> he wants all of us. So we want everything from the Lord, and we want to decide to divide up our lives into these neat compartments of what he can have and what he can't have. I'll tell you, you can have my spiritual time, God. You can have that, my time in a prayer closet. Um, you can have my, you know, the time when I'm opening up the Bible, but is this relationship, this toxic relationship I have, I can't really get that to you. My finances, I can't really get that to you. Like, my future, I'm, I'm going to keep watch over that because I know what I'm doing. And I was like, cool. I said I needed it all. And we believe sometimes that we, we trick ourselves and like, yeah, you know, that's a great arrangement. Like, he's really down with that arrangement, dividing everything up. And we wonder why we're frustrated with our purpose and we're frustrated in the middle of Lent that we're afraid of giving anything up. I don't want to lose anything. But when you're yielded, you know that he brings things into your life, and he takes things out, and he brings things into your life. But all things work together for those who trust the Lord. I think I've told this story before, but um, I'm going to tell it again, as every good father should. <laughs> Dad, you told me that story already. I'm telling you again. <laughs> um, being, in, being in Africa and uh, having a dream, and in this dream, God told me, I felt like the Lord was telling me that I would be martyred before I was 30 years old. And I'm 37, so that didn't happen. Um, but I'm thinking about, like, I wake up in tears, and I tell my wife, it wasn't my wife at the time, but I wake up in tears like, this is a, I saw my whole life flash before my eyes. You know, all the children, all the grandchildren that I hadn't had yet, all the promises, all the things that I wanted to see happen in my life that haven't happened yet. And um, I think through that, God was showing me what it takes to follow him. Surely if you don't leave mother, brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, cars, houses, anything for the sake of the gospel, that we have an opportunity to lay everything down, but what we receive is so much more than that. But we do not like to surrender any bit of that. We don't. It's hard to give up your posterity. It's hard to give up your dreams for the future. But the exchange that happens in the body of Christ, you're going to get back something greater. I can't tell you what right now. <laughs> but it's going to be greater. But the fear of loss makes us less likely to be yielded to what he's doing. Because what if we can't see the way 
What if it doesn't work out the way you're, I know it's supposed to work out? And everybody is in here saying, man, maybe I haven't even heard the Lord before in my life. I don't know if I have. And I think we have heard him more than we realize. Because he loves to speak in a still, small voice. And he loves to speak by putting things in our heart. And we don't even know where they got there or how they got there. But it's something that we remember and it drives us along. Turn to 1 Kings 19, please. First Kings 19 is Elijah causing a, a ruckus. He is um, in the midst of facing off with Ahab and Jezebel. And um, he's just entered into this amazing time of facing off with the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He said, I'm going to show you that my God is the real God. And God answers from heaven with lightning and licks up all the sacrifice. And, you know, he had poured water on these huge carcasses and filled it up these trenches around the altar. And then not only, like, licked up the uh, sacrifice, all the stones were gone. All the water was gone. It was amazing, astounding response from God. Like, yes, this is my man. I love him. He's awesome. Yeah. In, in um, 1 Kings 19 and 9, we find Elijah in a cave. He has gone from a mountaintop. Great experience. It's like he's just won the Grammys, you know what I'm saying? Like, everybody has seen how awesome he is. He's won the Grammys, and now he's in a hole in the ground. You know, he was above a mountain, now he's in a cave in a mountain, hiding in fear because Jezebel is coming to kill him. And this mountain that he's on is called Horeb. And Horeb and Sinai are sometimes thought of as the same mountain. Historically, they, they can have some difference, but um, when Moses received the Ten Commandments, it was on Mount Sinai. It was a mountain that was known as the mountain of the Lord, and he would strike it with thunder and lightning, and the top was black because it was known like, that's where God is. We don't go there. So the children of Israel wanted to approach this, this mountain, and God, you know, coming down in a dark cloud, and they're like, no, Moses, you talk to him. This is the mountain that Elijah is in um, after that time. And so in 19.9, it says, and there, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. So you imagine, like, this is known for God's presence. It's loud. It's, um, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am, am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in a fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. Now, Elijah is crazy. He's crazy, and he's very fearful. <laughs> and so God decides to speak to him 
in the most fearful way possible that he has to kind of navigate his way through. Um, and he doesn't know exactly how he's going to speak or when he's going to speak, um, but he's, he's standing there waiting. And a mountain is broken into pieces, and he's not in an earthquake, and he's not in a fire, um, but he speaks in a still, small voice. I think it's interesting like how it's, the Lord is talking to him, and the Lord tells him to go out to meet the Lord. Like, are you, you want, you're telling me to go out to meet you, but you're here. He goes out and hears a still, small voice, and he tells him, look, it's all right, Elijah. I got a lot of people that, I've, that have not bowed to the sword of, of um, Ahab and Jezebel. You are not by yourself. Anybody ever feel alone? I know you're not going to raise your hand because I may make you feel more alone. <laughs> but I see you. I see you. I'm the only one, Lord. I'm the first one who has ever gone through this. God is like, I have 7,000 people in your immediate vicinity who have gone through the same thing. But I'm still the only one. Ah. He's like, calm down. You got 7,000 more people. Do this, do this, do this. Um, and he, but it's, it's amazing that it's still the small voice, which is the foundation of all of us building a relationship with God. It's cultivating these awesome, amazing things that he's done, and he's fearful like a child. And God speaks to him the original way that he's spoken to him, which is in a small voice. Like, Elijah's run before a chariot. He has, like, made it not rain for years in Israel. He knows how to pray and get things done. He's been to the mountaintop, and now he's in the cave, and God reconnects him with this still, small voice that he can be yielded to and know that's the Lord speaking to me. How do we get this kind of yieldedness? Because, you know, Elijah's, I feel like there's always a distance between us and these amazing stories. Well, I'm definitely not Elijah. I mean, I'm definitely not this person. And I know there's a certain distance between us. And the theater is called the proscenium arch that exists between the audience and the person who's here. And you can't, like, kind of cross over that boundary necessarily. But... Yieldedness is what brings the experience that we yearn for into our present day today. It is what breaks that distance down. And it's what Jesus has done, giving us a direct path into the throne room so we can think that's the amazingness that God has called me. He's put inside of me. But it just takes a little yieldedness. It just takes... Surrender. But he paused to hear from the Lord in the midst of all this. So one time, I didn't plan that. But one time I had the game of my life, you know. It, it was like, it was a basketball game, and it was just an amazing, wonderful game, right? And you'd like think, this is mythology, except my wife was actually there. So I was playing in a league at Willow Creek, and I'm not a great basketball player. I'm okay. I was playing at this league at Willow Creek. They have an A league and they have a B league. I was in a B league, and our team was just losing this game. It was horrible, man. We were just getting, like, just beat up. And the whole game, and this hasn't happened very often, maybe like one other time. 
I'm playing in a game. I can hear the Holy Spirit, that still small voice talking to me and saying, are you going to give up now? Like, are you really going to give up? You fought this hard, and I'm just like all over the floor, layups, jumpers. We're like still down. And then all of a sudden, I like clicked into this zone. When people talk about the zone, and it, it was... It was emotionless because I felt like it wasn't me. It was very much the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And I was just coming down. Three, it didn't matter where I pulled up. It was just whack, 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 whack. <laughs> and everybody was going crazy like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I'm like, I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> and we're still down the whole game. And it's like three seconds to go. We're down by two points. I catch the ball. As soon as I catch the ball, I throw it up. Flash net, we win. And it's just like a moment of people look at that like, you're an amazing basketball player. Not really. It's like <laughs> the Holy Spirit is really awesome, and he really knows what we want and we desire, and he loves to partner with us. And that voice, that voice that just encourages you and gives you a little bit of dis- instruction and um, direction in the midst of what you're ever in that may be chaotic, he know what he's talking about. How does it, how do you know if it's the Holy Spirit or not? Just tell me that, preacher, so I can leave. This is how you know. It's not routine. That's as simple as I can put it. It's not routine. You have a, we have a routine that we have in life. A thing about reading a book or watching a movie is knowing when that plot is disrupted. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He's a disruptor. He's the first disruptor. Steve Jobs, he's amazing. He's what? Steve Jobs, come on now. Holy Spirit is the first disruptor. So that's how you know when it's him. You got this routine, all right, I get in my car, you know, I drive here, I go to work, I do that, and then something disrupts it. It's probably the Holy Spirit. It's not you saying, maybe I'll stop and get a donut when I don't get a donut. You never know this journey, this adventure that he's welcoming you to go on. So what keeps us from being yielded? Fear, control, and PTSD. Fear, control, PTSD, because what happens if I let go control of my life? What am I going to be? What am I going to end up as? I can't see what's in the future anyway, but I'm really good at controlling my life. And the people we admired, the the people that you admired the most were the most yielded people. Imagine being so yielded that you do not, you are not afraid of walking into a fire. Because you know your God that well. Like, God didn't come down in a cloud and say to the three Hebrew boys, you must go into that fire and I will be with you. He didn't tell them any of that. All they had was some scripture. All they had was an understanding of who their God was, what his character was, and that they weren't going to bow their knee. All the people that we admire know, Joan of Arc, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, all they know is just to have a life that is yielded, that is laid down, that is uncontrollably satisfied in doing the will of God and nothing else. We are so busy trying to make history that we're making none because we don't know how to just be easy. 
Every time you see this, that's what you're going to think of. This is like a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) Yielded. We are fearful. We want to control things. And we have had things taken away from us in the past. So you darn sure ain't going to give it up. We were just talking earlier about when you see people who are homeless and they have a cart and they got a 300 bags on the cart and they're pushing it because they've lost so much. They don't want to lose anything anymore. So I got to keep everything with me and move it around from place to place. And God is like, come on, just let me take it. It's cool. Like, just, just yield. Just yield. This is, this is what helps the, the conversation even about justice so much that we have a dominant culture, we have um, people in power who don't want to yield anything. It's like, nah, you got to fight for it, and you may be fighting for it, but that still doesn't mean I'm going to give it to you. And then we call Jesus Lord as well. And he says, but a seed falls to the ground, then it produces much fruit. We keep it in our hand, it won't make anything. We're just very fearful. And Elijah was the same way, which I love to connect in that way. That he could have these amazing experiences and then immediately forget that God fed him for 40 days from nothing. Immediately forget, and he's running for his life. But no matter how many mountaintop experiences we have, we must always return to the original yieldedness, which is stopping to hear the still, small voice. That is not routine. He's fearful. Nothing in him would make him go towards a fire and an earthquake to hear the Lord. He's fearful. But it's the voice that does that. Go to 1 Kings 19 and 19. So after he actually decides to listen to the Lord, um, he goes and, you know, he lays it all out for him and tells him what's going to happen, how he's going to be succeeded by Elisha, and he goes looking for Elisha, the same mantle that he used to wrap his face. When he goes out to hear from the Lord, he um, uses in this encounter with Elisha. And in 19 and 19, it says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed to him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh and used the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. And he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. When you look at two figures like this in Scripture, it can easily tell you which right, which one is right and which one is wrong. But I think they both have parts of us. Times that we can be very wishy-washy and fearful, um, but times that we can also be very decisive and say, this is what I'm going to do. This is very like the disciples deciding to follow Jesus. He said, follow me. And they're like, all right, cool. <laughs> like, that's weird. <laughs> He comes by, throws his mantle on Elisha, and Elisha's like, let me just go say bye. Like, those are the words you say to this, to him. Because Elisha, a man of influence, 
plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. He was wealthy. Like, this was Jesus saying to the rich young ruler, leave everything behind and follow me. 12 yoke of oxen, he was a man of significance. Like, he stood to inherit a lot of money. And he said, it's gone. He didn't even say just, it's gone. He said, I'm going to kill the oxen. I'm going to burn everything. This is my inheritance. I'm going to burn, and I'm not going back. How decisive is that? We have to be decisive with the spirit and yield it to a spirit that can be so amorphous and so ambiguous. Just, all right, God, just send me a telegram so I know it's you. And it's a still, small voice. Just let me know that it's you. So decisive and completely yielded that at that moment, God can speak and he leaves everything. He has a barbecue. Like, I'm not going there. That's the, his point of decision was a point of no return. And that's the kind of decisiveness that comes from cultivating and hearing that still small voice. Let your yes be unequivocal. Unequivocal means leaving no doubt and unambiguous. We are called to be decisive in the face of ambiguity and assured in the face of the amorphous. That is what faith is. It's what faith is. It's to be sure, although you're not really sure, and to be certain, although you're not really certain. But you know that, like, okay, God has told me this. It's not routine. All right, I think I'm supposed to do this. And, you know, people just don't show up that way. They just don't. Is you're cultivating the trust of the still, small voice. You're listening once, and you do something, and you see how God's hand is moving in it. You do something else, and you see his hand is moving in it. And then you end up with people who can go and get sprayed by water hoses or they can go have this conviction so deep inside of them that you couldn't uproot it if you wanted to. How will people leave their bodies to, to experience all this? We are so afraid of being uncomfortable that we think that's what the gospel is telling us to be, comfortable. But no, he's calling us to follow him. Pick up your cross and follow him. And it's not a little gilded golden cross, you know. And the Holy Spirit is like, I want people, I want you to be yielded to what I'm doing in you, in your world. I want your life to be laid down for me. I don't want a part of you. I don't want an arm. I don't want a leg. I need it all. Why can't we answer the call sometimes? Because we think this is a negotiable. It's, it's not negotiable. When I laid my life down at the altar for Jesus and said, I will follow you, I surrender all to you, he said, okay, I'll be back to collect. He is not the bill collector whose call we can avoid. 
He wants all of us. And he's a loving God, so he's not going to force us to do it. But it will, it's torturous to not do it. It's torturous to not yield ourselves. But it's so counterintuitive to this world we live in. I must control my success, my destiny, my career path. Uh, this is what I'm going to happen in my life. I got it all mapped out, Mom. See? Look, I'm a success. <laughs> Just to do God's will. In John 10, Jesus says this astounding phrase um, that doesn't get repeated enough. Um, and he says, he says, this is why God loves me. Jesus is saying this. It should be on a billboard somewhere. This is why my father loves me. Therefore, my father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This is the command I have received from my father. Why God loves him? He loves them because they're one and the same. You know, the father and the son, they're part of the trinity. That's why God loves them. He says, no, he loves them because he lays his life down. Because he's yielded to his will. When you've seen me... You've seen the Father. We're one and the same. Yielded. That's, that's Jesus just like moving through life. Yielded and completely comfortable. I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me if it's not routine. I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me if it's an invitation and not a decree. It's, hey, you could do this if you like. I mean, you've done it this way 50 times. The 51st, you want to do it differently? No, God, I got this. Cool, cool, cool. Maybe you might want to think about doing it this way a little differently. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. Don't just keep, like, frustrating yourself doing the same thing. And I know there are some people in here who have, in the midst of frustration, like, you're just, like, brimming with this concern for your life, which is a mild way to put it. You're frustrated with God. You're yelling at God. You are, what are you doing right now? What's going on? And he's saying, yield. Lay your life down. Well, can I keep my life and get all the things that I need from you? Like, it doesn't work that way. It's an exchange. And as such, I will lead you into all goodness. But I can't fight you and lead you at the same time. I need you to be yielded with a life laid down. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to the cross. The Holy Spirit led Daniel to the lion's den. The Holy Spirit led Elijah to the cave. We think the Holy Spirit only leads to a stage, but he leads us to where we need to go, although we may not understand why yet. We don't know why yet, but it may not be comfortable because he's promised us the comforter, not comfort. In Psalm 32, 
Psalm 32 and 8. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And before that, after in 9, it says, Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Why do I have to put you in a headlock to tell you something? I don't know what God's headlock looks like. God's headlock looks like bumping your head into the same wall over and over again. Boom, boom. Are you going to listen now? No. Are you going to listen now? No. Are you going to listen now? Don't be like the horse or the mule that has to be harnessed with the bit and bridle. This is the relationship God wants with us. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Someone you know really well or a mate. You can tell by their look how they're feeling. You don't need to hear words. That's the kind of guidance and instruction he wants us to walk in, to be fully surrendered to. I'll show you this picture. I'm sure I'll show you it before. But uh, of me throwing my son up at uh, Crown Fountain um, downtown. And <laughs> you're like, why does his wife let him do this? <laughs> I've stopped it only once in a while I do it now. But <laughs> she let me do this because I, I haven't dropped anybody. So... <laughs> But he's looking at me as I'm throwing him up to know the instructions. How should he be feeling? Should he be relaxed or should he be like, ah, you know, if I got a freaked out look on my face. (laughs) I will guide you and instruct you with my eye. And this is the father like, trying to get us to trust him through his spirit to be yielded to him. To know that he's going to catch us every time and that he's leading us with that still, small voice. This big, powerful, wonderful God who has created the world and, and inspired every song you can think of is inspired by the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you think about the people, inspiration in the spirit, Every song is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yet he decides to speak to us in this little bitty voice because he's ever patient and ever kind and wanting us to gather to him. Surrender, yielded. He's doing a new work in us here in this body and he's doing a new work in us as individuals that requires a different level of surrendering. It it requires us to leave some things. But what you get in return will 